Uh, good morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. So a little check just to make sure. Those of you who did receive the email I sent out and you're here this morning, you received the email. Would you show of hands that you received it? All right, let's do it the other way. Who did not receive it? Who did not receive it? All right. Um, just be sure that you have sent, put in your um, little contact card and that it's correctly, you know, printed out. So, and also perhaps just check when you get home to make sure that you did get it, but maybe you didn't look. Okay? All right. So say, this is for me. Say, I'm the, I'm the one. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, as we go to your word, we ask for the Holy Spirit anointing to flow freely in this house. Uh, give me utterance that's anointing, that I'll be able to speak and recall all that we've studied together and that you reveal to me. I pray for those listening to me today and those who will be watching online, that there will be a deep deep move and a work in their hearts and lives by you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. So <clears throat> we are teaching on the prophetic insight, started off uh, for 2022. We're now part six. And uh, what we're discussing is the seven feasts that the nation of Israel celebrated, and God had told them to do this. And we're discovering how that these feasts actually foreshadowed the coming of the Lord Jesus, both the first time and also the second time. The uh, four feasts that we have already looked at um, show the first coming of Jesus. And the first one was the Passover feast fulfilled. He was the Lamb of God that was slain, and His blood is what cleansed us going all the way back to when they came out of Egyptian bondage. The second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You might remember the three pieces of matzah that they broke the centerpiece. They folded it in a napkin. They went and hid it somewhere in the house. And then the next morning, the children found it, magically appeared. So it represented the breaking of Jesus' body, wrapped in the cloth, put in the tomb, and the resurrection the next day. The third feast was the Feast of First Fruits. Remember when they went into the promised land, the very first portion of the harvest, the very first harvest, the very first portion, they took that and they brought it to the temple and they waved it uh, in front of the Lord as a thanksgiving. That represented Jesus being the very first fruits from the resurrection from the dead when he raised, was raised from the dead. And the fourth one was the feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, all right? Now, we are currently looking at the Feast of Trumpets, and um, it foreshadows the rapture of the believers. And I want to just um, clarify when I say believers, I'm talking about people that are truly passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. I refer to them as the Bride of Christ, and their resurrection of the dead in Christ, they will be raised first. Again, those that are being raised are the passionate believers that love Jesus with all of their heart. So what will we discuss today? We're going to confirm the rapture from the Feast of Trumpets. We're going to look at that, confirm it. Then we're going to look at the concealed or hidden day. And then to whom was Jesus talking when he said he would come as a thief in the night? We're also going to look at how do we get our wedding garments to attend the wedding ceremony. And then the Feast of Trumpets initiates the opening of books. There are certain books that get opened. What are those books? And then who will be rewarded? And then finally, if we have time, we will be able to look, will we be able to attend the coronation of Jesus, which is the crowning of Jesus as the Lord? So the Feast of Trumpets, just to remind you, uh, the term given in Hebrew is Yom Teruah. And Yom Teru, you know, in Hebrew, you read backwards from right to left. So the word Yom is actually day. So day, Teruah, that's how they would say it. And uh, the word Teruah means a battle cry. It means the sounding of an alarm, and it even means shouting. So it's the day of shouting an alarm. It's a day of a battle cry and even shouting out loud. From the New Testament, we read this. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. There is the shout. 
with the voice of an archangel, not a normal angel, one of the two archangels left. Lucifer's no longer there, so Michael or Gabriel, one of those two. Uh, with a trumpet of sound, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have died will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Everybody say caught up. Together with them as they rise out of the graves in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Everybody say air. air. All right, so we're meeting the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So my sermon in these series I've done is to comfort the believers, the passionate believers, and to set a, a little fire under the, of those that are not. Okay? So please understand, I'm trying to comfort both groups. So the word caught up in the Greek is the word harpazo, and it means to catch away, to catch up, to pluck, to pull, to take by force. That clearly explains the rapture. Clearly. There it is. We're going to be plucked up. We're going to be taken. We're going to be pulled by force. And we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And we will have glorified bodies just like Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the Feast of Trumpets, at the Feast of Trumpets, they blow a ram's horn called a shafar. And they blow it 100 times. The 100th time they blow it, they blow it longer than the others and as loud as they possibly can. According to the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that is the trumpet sound at which the rapture will take place, right at the last trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets. Let's read what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all be dead. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. At the last trumpet is referring to the 100th blast of the Feast of Trumpets. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The Feast of Trumpets is the next feast to be fulfilled. Four have already been fulfilled. Those are the spring feasts. We're now entering the end of harvest the end of summer, we will see the summer harvest and the next feast on the calendar to be fulfilled spiritually and prophetically is the Feast of Trumpets. Now the first day of the month of Tishri, which is the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, the very first day is called Rosh Hashanah and everybody knows that. It is the beginning of the new year for the Jewish people. But Rosh Hashanah is also known by seven different Hebrew names, and these are idioms that they give for the understanding of this day. Number one, it's called the Feast of Trumpets. Number two, the wedding of the Messiah. The three, the hidden day. Number four, the time of Jacob, Jacob's trouble. Number five, the day of judgment. Sorry, number five is the day of the awakening blast. Number six is the day of judgment, and number seven is the coronation of the Messiah. Now, we've already discussed the wedding of the Messiah. We did that last week. If you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and to listen to it so you can get up to speed. With That's the most amazing insight um, into the fact that they call the Feast of Trumpets the wedding of the Messiah. So uh, we're going to discuss some of the other Hebrew idioms today. We'll see how far we go. Let's start with the hidden day. This one is Yom Kadakesh. All right, so this word... Um, I want to give you the root meanings of the word from Hebrew. If you would, go to the next slide, please. Uh, this term here, as you can see, a very close one just changes the S to a C, is derived from the, the, the Hebrew root K-A-C-A-H. And that means to conceal, to cover, or to hide. Matthew twenty four thirty six. Jesus said this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You remember last week when we did the wedding ceremony, how the father said to the son, okay, you can go back now and get your bride. So even the bridegroom did not know when the father was going to approve the mansion or the extension or whatever he had done, had built. Then he gets sent back to get his bride. So <clears throat> Jesus said that he was going to return as a thief. Remember that? He said, Lord, I'm going to return as a thief in the night. 
So I want to show you some scriptures. First of all, Peter said this by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Did we say thief in the night? Then Paul says by the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Say thief in the night. So we've got two people that have already said it by the Holy Spirit out of two or three witnesses that every word be established. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And then John, the Apostle John says in Revelation 16 and verse 15, quoting Jesus, I, Look, I will come as, an unex, uh, as unexpectedly as a thief. Jesus said, I'll come again unexpectedly. Blessed are all who are watching for me. Who are blessed? Who are blessed? Please, please watch this because we're going to see this throughout the sermon today. We're going to see it throughout the sermon today. The ones that are blessed are the ones that are watching. Those that are waiting, those that are watching, those that are ready. Those are the ones that are blessed. Blessed are those who are watching for me. Now watch what they do. Watch what they do. Who keep their clothing ready so that they will not walk around naked and ashamed. Um, just remember Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in this generation, this wicked generation... I will be ashamed of you when? When I come with my angels, in front of my angels. Didn't he say that? All right. Not in, your, not in my notes, just want to throw that out for you. Now, who is Jesus talking to? When he says this, he's going to come. So let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 2, and we will find out. He is talking to the church at Sardis. Remember, he spoke to seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation. This is the church uh, in Sardis. In verse 2, uh, out of the Amplified Bible, he says, rouse yourself. Other Bibles would say, wake up. I actually like wake up. Yeah, I like that term, wake up. Wake up. Rouse yourself and keep awake and strengthen and invigorate what remains and is on the point of dying. You could say on the verge of dying. Jesus says to this church, he gives them three instructions. Three instructions. Wake up, stay awake, and strengthen what remains. Invigorate what's at the point of death. He's talking to somebody who's at the point of death. We have a smoldering wick. Pretty much the flame is gone. It's a smoldering wick. It's at the point of death. Blow on it. Blow on it. Get it alight again. Quickly. Quickly. For I have not found a thing that you have done, any works of yours, meeting the requirements of my God or perfect in his sight. Now, don't get confused. He's not talking about the works of the Lord. For those who have been through Bible college, you understand? He's not talking about works of the law. He's actually talking about righteous deeds that you do after being born again. All right? Nobody who kept the law could be found perfect anyway. So he could not be saying that your works were imperfect. He's talking about works that you do after you became a Christian. Verse 3. So call to mind the lessons you received and heard. Continue to lay them to heart and obey them. And repent. Now he gives four more instructions to them. How to get out of the situation that you're in. That's what he's telling them. He says you're at the point of death. Now this is what you've got to do. He said you need to bring to mind the lessons that you have heard. The teachings you have heard. The Bible college teachings you've been through. The lessons you've heard from other ministers on YouTube. When you, when you read books about it, when you attended church, the lessons that you have learned, he says, and you've received and you've heard, call to mind. Remind yourself of them. Number two, continually lay them in your heart. Lay them to your heart. Bring them to your heart. Get your heart revived with those lessons that you'd heard. The word that you had been receiving during your lifetime, during the time that you were a Christian, those words that you had got that you have now put on the shelf, those teachings that you got that you're no longer doing, bring them to mind. Put them back in your heart 
and obey them. Obey them. If you're not doers of the word, you're self-deceived. Jesus said, he who did the word, he who did the word, his house stood. Remember that? The people who did, when the storms came, their house stood. Those who didn't do the, the, what the word said, their house was blown away by the storm. He said, and obey them. And then number four, he gives a fourth instruction. Repent. He says, repent. Look, 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 repent. There it is. Obey, obey, and then repent. In other words, the way to get out of the situation that you're in, you have to repent. Change your mind. You can't stay doing what you're doing. You're in big trouble. You may not even know how much trouble you're in. So, in case you will not wake up, in case you will not rouse yourself, in case you will not keep awake, in case you will not watch... I will come upon you like a thief, and you will not know or suspect at what hour I will come. He's talking to those who have lost their first love. He's talking to those who have got cold. He's talking to the lukewarm, that they are no longer passionate about the things of God. There was a time when they went to church. There was a time when they prayed. There was a time when they read the Bible. There was a time when they listened to preaching. But you know what? It's not important to them anymore. They're no longer passionate about it. They don't have any righteous works. They've given it up. They're just living in the world and go, well, I'm a Christian. That's it. I've, I've prayed the prayer. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm fine. I don't have to do anything else. But they're at the point of spiritual death, and they don't realize that they desperately need to repent, or they will be left behind. He's going to come as a thief to them unexpectedly, and they will not be ready. If they're not ready, they will be left behind. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to make sure we're ready right now. Amen. Not one of you are going to go through the tribulation. Not one of you are going to have to suffer those things that are coming upon the earth. If I have anything to do with it, if you will stay in this church, I will pre preach you awake. And I will keep you awake. Amen. Let's lift our hands. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you individually and corporately. And we repent of being lukewarm. We repent of dead works. We repent, Lord, of not doing what we were taught to do. All those things that we've heard and seen and taught. And, Lord, that we've put aside. Father, forgive us for not being passionate. In the name of Jesus, we wake ourselves up. We shake ourselves. We command ourselves to be alert and to be watchful for Jesus to come. Lord, we ask for you to help us as we repent and we change the way that we've been living. That we might be on fire and passionate for Jesus. Oh, God, we look up to the heavens. We're looking forward to the return of our Savior Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're ready for you to come in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. Amen. Turn and take somebody's hand and say, I'm ready. Are you? All right. You may be seated in heavenly places. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Do you know somebody who's not? Do you know a family member who's not? Do you know a friend or an acquaintance who once walked with God or once, you know, is living a lukewarm Christian life, just think everything's hunky-dory that doesn't have to serve God? I don't have to go to church. You know, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian person. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you were a Christian, you'd go to church. Because church is where you get fed. Church is where you get the good news. Church is where you get built up. Church is where you meet other like-minded people. Church is where you sense the corporate anointing of the Holy Spirit to get to worship God. No, you don't have to come, but you also don't have to go in the rapture. Yeah. Of course not. It's your choice. So I'm awake, Pastor. All right. Now, we just read in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15 that they had not prepared their garments. Remember that? They said, who keep their garments ready. You, the ones that are going are the ones who have prepared their garments to keep their garments ready. So <clears throat> the ones that are now lukewarm, the ones that have drifted away, the ones who don't care, the ones priority is not with God, they have not prepared their wedding garments. I'm going to prove it to you. They've not prepared their wedding garments. In Revelation 19 and verse 7, let us rejoice and shout for joy. 
Let us celebrate and ascribe to Him glory and honor, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and her bride has prepared herself. Say, her, the bride has prepared herself. See, nobody dressed the bride. The bride prepared herself. In verse 8, it tells us that she has been permitted to dress in fine, radiant linen, dazzling and white. For the fine linen is, and it signifies and represents the righteous, the upright, the just, the godly living, the deeds and the conduct and the right standing with God of the saints. Let me put it to you this way. The fine linen is the righteous deeds and acts of the believers. There it is. That's what it is. All right? So the garments that those who attend the wedding feast will wear is what they did as believers as righteous acts. It's not what someone does to fulfill the law. It doesn't produce righteousness. But it is something once you have been born again that you do as a believer. It's an outworking of the righteousness that is in you. You now perform acts as a believer. You pray for the sick. You, you disciple people. You serve God. You go to church. You tithe. You love on people. You do whatever you possibly can. You outwork what has happened inside. You show outwardly that you have Christ in you. If you're not showing Outwardly, you have Christ in you. You don't have Christ in you. All right. Now, let's have a look at a parable that Jesus spoke about the wedding feast. Ties right in with what we're talking about in Matthew 22 and verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like. Everybody say the kingdom of heaven is like. So is he talking about the kingdom of heaven or what? I guess so, because he said the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, so, hallelujah, look at that revelation. The kingdom of heaven is like. So he's going to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Don't want you to miss it. It is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Does that sound somewhat familiar? That the father might be preparing a wedding banquet for his son? Okay, so he's telling us what's gonna, what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The father's preparing a wedding banquet. And you know what he did? He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. That's the Jewish nation. Verse 4, then he sent some more servants. These are prophets. Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Jesus has come to invite them. The prophets have been coming, but they paid no attention. And they went off, watch this, one to his field, another to his business. Doesn't it sound just like today? Mm-hmm. Just like today. Now the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And that's what happened to the prophets. The king was enraged. He sent his army and he destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. And that happened in 70 AD. Millions of Jews were killed. Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. Temple was destroyed. And the Jews were dispersed throughout all the world. Fulfilled. This parable fulfilled. So let's read on. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. That is the dispensation of grace in which we are now living. This is the kingdom of God being explained to us in sequence. We're now living where the good and the bad are being invited. Not those under the law. Anybody. Come to the wedding. 
Right now, I'm inviting you to the wedding. I've been inviting you for the last six lessons. I've been inviting you for the last 45 years. Come to the wedding. Come get born again. Get on fire for God. Let's go to the wedding. It's going to be a great day in Jesus' name. Amen? It's going to be awesome. So he says, come to the wedding, both good and bad. Invites both good and bad. This is the dispensation of grace. And then he says, the king came in to see. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding clothes. He didn't have a wedding garment on. He didn't have the fine garment and everything else white and clean. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And I asked the same question. How did this guy get into the wedding without wedding clothes? How did he do it? I don't know how he did it, but I do know the outcome. The outcome is the king told the attendants, tie him up, hand and foot, and throw him outside into darkness. King James says, out of darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are invited, but few are chosen. See, many right now are snubbing the invitation because of other interests. They're more interested in their work. I've got to work on Sunday, Pastor. I can't come to church. Listen to me. If you're watching and you're listening to me, you need to make a priority church. You need to make it a priority to get out of your bed in the morning, take your PJs off, and come to church. All right? So if you're listening to me at home today, wherever you are, and you could have made it to church, shame on you. Let me shame you now, rather than you be shamed in front of the angels. Is it hot in here? Maybe it's just fire. Don't you be putting other things ahead of your interest in God. Make God first, as Pastor Cindy read today. Seek first the kingdom of God in every area of your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Make God a priority in your life. Don't allow anything else to rise above God's place in your life. You see, let me go back to this guy who got in without his clothes. It's It's not important that he got in without a garment. What's important is this. You cannot attend without a garment. He got thrown out. He got bounced. (laughs) No? You don't wear the right clothes for this club, Bubba. You're out of here. That's what happened. He got bounced. If you don't have the right wedding garment, you can't come into the wedding. Even if you sneak in the back door, going to find you. King is looking for you. All right. Now, let's move on to the next one. The next one is the time of Jacob's trouble, a.k.a. the day of the Lord. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are known as the patriots, for those who are not familiar with the Old Testament. These three guys all started with Abraham. Then he had his son, Isaac, the promised son, who he had to, he had to sac- uh, make the offering to sacrifice him, but didn't go through with it because God told him to stop. And then from Isaac came Jacob. Jacob's name got changed to Israel, prince with God. Remember? Got changed. And then Jacob has 12 sons. The 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the nation Israel being birthed right there, the 12 tribes. So when we talk about Jacob, we're also talking about the nation of Israel. Make sense? So the time of Jacob's trouble is the time of Israel's trouble, or we could say it's the time of the Jewish trouble. That is the seven days of the tribulation period known as Daniel's 70th week. It's a seven-day, a seven-year period that begins after the Feast of Trumpets. After the rapture, the resurrection, God's focus goes to the Jews for seven days, though, uh, seven years. Those are referred to as the day of the Lord or the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay? It is a time of judgment. That's what it is. Time of judgment. That's all we need to know about it. Let's go to the next one. The day of the awakening blast was also one of the idiom's names given. Now, this refers to the resurrection and the blast. We've heard, we've read about the trumpet blast. Just to remind you, 
In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's what it's talking about. That's why they call it the day of the awakening blast, because that day the dead arise. They awake out of their sleep, out of their, out of their graves. They come up. The bodies come up. Come the spirit and soul come down from heaven, meet the body, body becomes glorified. Right? That's what's going to happen. Let's go to the next, next one. The next one is called the Day of Judgment. Day of Judgment. It's also referred to, a.k.a. the opening of the books. So if you do your research and you see the idiom, the Day of Judgment, you'll also find that they call it the Day of Opening the Books. In Judaism, it is believed that every year at the Feast of Trumpets that the books are opened and the heavenly court is in session. And God looks over every person's account to see how they've been doing with the investment he has made into them. And this trial lasts 10 days. It lasts until the Day of Atonement, which is the next feast. So it begins at the Feast of Trumpets. The court is in session, books are opened, and the trial, when God is looking at the books, lasts for 10 days to the Feast of Atonement. Right. That is where there is a forgiveness of sin, where people atone for their sins. And if time permits, we may continue this. We'll have to just see if there's enough interest. But anyway, that's a t- the, the atonement ends, uh, the ends at the Great Tribulation. It ends at the Day of Atonement. So listen carefully. Unless we repent and put our trust In the Messiah's work on the cross, now listen carefully to these words, you will be judged according to our deeds. It's not your deeds that will be judged, it's that you will be judged according to your deeds. If you do not put your trust in the work of the Messiah on the cross, then you would stand before God with your deeds in your hand. How you have lived, what you have done, what you haven't done. You will be coming before God on your own. Then you will be judged by what you did, by your deeds, and one of them will be the rejection of Christ. Now let's go back to this judgment that's occurring here. We go to the book of Daniel, and this is what he sees in an open vision. In Daniel 7, verse 10, thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is happening in heaven, and this occurs after the Feast of Trumpets. All been taken up, we're now in heaven. Verse 11 from Daniel, chapter 7. Then I continue to watch. Because of the boastful words of the horn, the horn, what the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Who's that? Who's that horn? Anybody? Antichrist. The Antichrist. So we have two visions going on. We have two things happening. We have something happening in heaven that Daniel sees. And there's 10,000 times 10,000 times thousands of thousands standing in front of him. And the books are being opened, but down on the earth, the Antichrist is running around with these words, blaspheming God. And we know that from the book of Revelations that is happening. Daniel sees this thousands and thousands of years before. Two vision. What's going on in heaven? What's happening on earth? So the Antichrist is making these statements while the judgment seat of Christ is occurring in heaven. Now, does the New Testament teach what Daniel said? Yeah. Now that we have this insight, let's go and have a look at what the New Testament says. Now, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we will, we will have to give an account for what we did in our body, whether good or bad, in front of the judgment seat of Christ. But hang on to your, hang on to your seat now. Wait a minute. 
Romans 14.10, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You see that? We're all going to get time to speak. You're going to get time to speak. That word account, I looked it up in the Greek for you. This is out of the Greek concordance for you. <clears throat> New Testament number 3056 called Logos. And also from New Testament 3004. Now it's very, very lengthy in its discussion of what it is. I'm gonna, I've just picked out a few things of what it says this means. It means this. Something said, something reported in speech, a matter under discussion, a dispute, a case, suited law, reckoning, and answer explanation in reference to judgment. You will be given an opportunity to speak. You will be given opportunity to tell God the matter, what's going on. In a courtroom setting, as if you're in a lawsuit, you have to give a reckoning and an explanation for the judgment you're about to face. Everyone will give an account. Say everyone. everyone. Each of us will have an opportunity <coughs> to give an account. For all of those who say, well, when I get to God, I'm going to tell him a thing or two. <laughs> you're right, Bubba, you will. But I guarantee you, you're not going to be uh, as happy as you think you are. <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty seven, For by your words you will be justified and acquitted. And by your words, you'll be condemned and sentenced. It's going to happen two ways. First of all, what you say on earth, your words are eternal. They never pass away. They remain forever. When you get to heaven, you have another opportunity. Because in heaven's courtroom, they will show what you said. They will recall for everybody to see. In front of the thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of people. And then you'll have an opportunity to answer why you said that. For example, I don't believe in God. I don't have to go to church. I think Jesus might have been a prophet, but I don't think he's a savior. There's many ways to heaven. Why do I need to repent? Oh, no, no, no. I couldn't forgive that person. You know what they did to me? There's no way I could forgive them. But what do you mean I can't be forgiven? Well, unless you forgive, you can't be forgiven. By your words. By your words, you will be judged. By your words, what you said on earth, by your words, you will be condemned or you will be released and acquitted. All right? So now, will we be rewarded after our works are tested? This is a question. The answer is yes, we will be rewarded. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're still in the same, we haven't left, we're still in the, in the judgment seat of Christ. Please understand that, okay? So people get an opportunity to speak up, to give, to give an answer. Now what, watch what happens. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, And the fire will test and critically appraise the character and worth of each work, of, of the work each person has done. Whatever you've done, okay, for Christ is now going to be judged by fire. Now, if the work which any person has built on, the foundation is Jesus, though if the work any person has built on this foundation, any product of his effort, whatever, survives this test, he will get a reward. So everybody's work will be tested by fire. If it survives the test, you're going to get a reward. That's what it says. But if any person's work is burned up in this test, he will suffer the loss of all of it, losing his reward. Everything that happened on earth, he will lose his reward. Though he himself will be saved, but only as one who has passed through the fire. Now, do you understand what I said? If you haven't received Jesus, that you'll be judged by your works. This is not judging you by your works. This is judging your works. Are you following? You see the difference? You'll be saved, but your works will be burnt up. And you'll lose your reward. You'll enter into heaven with no reward for the rest of eternity. You can't get a reward once you're in heaven. Rewards are only earned on earth. 
and everything that you've done for God, all the righteous acts that you've done for God, is the preparation of your wedding garment. And that wedding garment has a chance of being burnt up. It's not on my notes, but I, I just went, I'm pulling, pulling from memory. When the original temple of Solomon was built, supernatural fire came from God and lit the altar. And the altar was burning. Then the priests were required to make sure that fire didn't go out. When the second, uh, uh, altar, uh, second temple was built by Zerubbabel, it didn't happen. There was no supernatural fire that came down. So they had, lit, they had the light, the, the altar of sacrifice themselves. And then they were placed, two, two people, priests, were, were put in charge of making sure the fire didn't go out. And then from time to time, what had happened during the night is either the high priest or a person in charge would walk past to see that they hadn't fallen asleep and the fire had gone out. And if the fire had gone out, the high priest or this person went and found fire and came and lit their garments. They lit their garments. So they jumped up screaming and pulled off their clothes and they were ashamed and naked. And their garments tested by fire and they were ashamed and naked. They lost it all. That's what used to happen in front of the altar. If you go to sleep and the fire goes out, tell you what's coming. All right, I just, there's much more I could talk, I just don't have the time. Don't have the time. Make sure that you don't fall asleep and the rapture happens, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> All right. I want to give a stern warning to pastors. So you can go sleep now. <laughs> no, don't do that because there's a section here for you. Luke twelve thirty seven, Jesus said, It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching. Everybody say watching. watching. When he comes. Watching when he comes. Verse 38. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Say ready. ready. Even if he comes in the second or third night, or watch of the night. Verse 40. You also must be ready. Ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. So verse 40 is just thrown in. He's busy telling them a story, a parable, but he stops in the middle and he says, I'm telling you a story, but you must be ready. You see that? You must be ready. Now verse 42. Then the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for the servant, watch now, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Is this about Jesus coming back or what? Mm -hmm. I tell you the truth, he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant, that pastor, says to himself, my master, Jesus, is taking a long time in coming, and then he begins to beat the other men servants, maidservants, congregation, if you like, to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The master, Jesus, of that pastor will come on a day when he does not expect him. Jesus has told us he's coming on a day that you don't expect him. Do you get that? Over and over and over. So this pastor is going to be taken by surprise. Now watch what happens. And at an hour he's not aware of, he will be cut to pieces and assigned him a place with the unbelievers. Not just thrown out of the wedding. I can tell you now, the day of the rapture, the day of the Feast of Trumpets, the next day, churches will be filled. Standing room only. They won't have multiple services. It'll be one service. They won't break. Nobody will want to leave. And the pastor of that church will be on his face, weeping before the congregation, apologizing for not telling them the truth, and apologizing for allowing them to live a milk-white, washy, milk-toast-type Christianity. And trying to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of words. I can't even think of the words to say. Just allowing them to live a low-life Christianity. 
A lukewarm Christianity. No passionate required. You don't have to worship God. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to sing. You can sit and sleep in church as long as you come. No! You don't even have to come if you don't want to come. You don't have to change if you get born again. You don't have to get born again as long as you love your neighbor. As long as you're doing good things, whatever, that's fine. Those pastors will be on their faces before God apologizing. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, read your freaking Bible. Come on, people. There's no reason for you not to know. Warning. They were getting thrown out to unbelievers. Now let's talk about the coronation of the Messiah. We go back to Daniel chapter 7 again. We're going to read the same few verses. Verse 10. Thousands upon thousands attending him. 10,000 times 10,000 standing before him. The court was seated. The books were open. He looked down onto the earth and I saw the boastful words of the horn speaking. I kept looking until that beast was thrown into the fire and destroyed. The next verse, 13. I was watching in the night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father. And they brought him near before him. Now watch what happens. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and the nations and the languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is the one which will never ever be destroyed. That's what happens. That's the coronation of Jesus. This is what happens after the court's finished, after the trial of the seven years. The, the, the court is done. Jesus is crowned. In front of all of us, we see the coronation, those of us who get to, to, to be there. So now let's go to the book of Revelations. Let's look at the crowning of Jesus in Revelation 4, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him and sit on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns down before the throne, saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created." Jesus returns at the end of the great tribulation. This is what it looks like. So follow, just follow the sequence now. With the trumpet sound, we've gone up. We've, been, we've gone through the court process. Our works have been judged. Some have received rewards. Some have lost rewards. But we're all there. And we see the coronation of Jesus. And now we see the wedding. We see the wedding. We're part of the wedding. We've got our wedding garments, right? Our wedding garments haven't been burnt up. God has allowed us to put on our wedding garments. And verse 7 of Revelation 19, Let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let us celebrate and ascribe to Him glory and honor. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has prepared herself, and she's been permitted to dress in fine, white, dazzling linen. This fine, dazzling linen is the righteous uh, deeds, godly living and conduct of the saints. So now, the wedding has taken place. We're there at the coronation. The king himself invites his bride, who is now dressed in the white robes, who has gone through the judgment, has got the rewards. Come into the joy. Come on, come on, come. Come and be my bride. He is the king of kings. And now, chapter 19 of Revelations, verse 11. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes like the blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen. There we are. White and clean, out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with the rod of iron, because he is the king. He will tread the, vine the winepress of the fury of God and the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come on, let's give God praise. Let's stand up and praise Jesus. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on. Hallelujah. We're coming with Him. The bride is coming with Him. The bride is coming with Him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And we're coming down for the Feast of Atonement. We're coming down for the Feast of Atonement. Hallelujah. How many are going in the rapture here today? 
How many say, I'm not sure if I want to go? Anybody? Not sure if you want to go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, you want to go. You promise you, you want to go. You don't want to stay. All right? You want to go. Hallelujah. We're coming back at the end of the tribulation. We're coming back with our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. We're coming back wearing the white robes that we, that we earn through our righteous works. Hear me, church. Hear me, church. You need to start working on your wedding garment. If you haven't been working on your wedding garment, get busy. Because maybe what you've got is going to be burnt up because you fell asleep. Uh-huh. All right. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us insight and revelation to what's going to happen. We're excited. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're looking forward to that day where we see you being crowned. Lord, we're not afraid to stand before you because we'll not be ashamed of our righteous works that we've done. We, we have been faithful, Lord. We have been discipling people. We have been sharing the gospel with people. We've been inviting people to church. Whenever possible, we speak a word for you, Lord. We've been faithful with our tithes and our offerings, and we serve you, and we serve inside the church, Lord. Whatever you ask us to do, we do. We've laid our life down. We've picked up our cross. We're following you. On that day, we will not be ashamed. We will hear, welcome, welcome. Good and faithful servant, come into the joy of the Lord. In that day, we'll be part of the bride. In that day. And Lord, we look forward to your return. Father, bless the people in this house. Bless those who hear the message that's gone out. I pray that the fire from this message will cause people to rise up, to repent, to awaken themselves up, to stay awake, Lord, and to move forward in the name of Jesus with passion that they've never known before. Because we know it's the passionate that will see him face to face in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. All right. Well, I've asked Pastor Cindy to share next Sunday. I'm take a, a, a little chance to catch my breath, uh, to, to go on and to, if you want more, it's up to you. Do you want some more of this? All right, not enough of you. Okay, I'll. Now, you want some more? All right, so, okay, what I'll, do, what I'll do the next time I preach after Cindy, I'll finish up with the Feast of Atonement, and I'll also finish up with uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and then I will specifically spend time on who's going to be the bride. Who's going to be the bride? I've been asked questions after questions as to who is the bride, um, and, and how can we be sure of that? Who's going to be left behind, and who's going to go? You want to know that? Yes. All right, so that's what we'll do, all right? Don't invite anybody. Please don't invite anybody. If you need prayer this morning, you know, I'm kidding with you. I have my prayer team come forward. Maybe reverse psychology. Prayer team will come forward here, ministry team. And if you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, come on down and pray for them. If you want to give your life to the Lord, just come forward and say to this person, man, I need to repent today. I need to find Jesus. Uh, if you need healing for your body or want to be full of the Holy Ghost, just ask them to pray for you. Amen? And have a great week. And P3 is going to be through the roof. Going to be awesome. Have a great week in Jesus' name.